Tell me a story, part two, if you are joining us and you missed last week. Also, if you missed last week, please go get a copy in the back. They're free, or you can catch it online. You can watch or download the podcast. And so um, hope you hope you enjoy this series. This is one of my favorite series because I love talking about Jesus and I love the parables. And so Jesus was the master storyteller. And we all love stories. I'll prove it to you. How many of you love reading stories or going to movies? Most of us in this room, we love stories. How many of you remember as a kid begging mom or begging dad or begging the babysitter, begging somebody to read you a bedtime story? And so we love stories. And stories, basically what they do is they begin to paint pictures for us. And, and, and depending on the type of stories that we're told, they kind of shape how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about the world around us. And so Jesus was very careful. As a matter of fact, when you look at the bulk of his teaching, the majority of his teaching is found in stories. Because more than an outline and a point system, you remember great stories. And so Jesus would tell these stories so that people would remember them. And today we will continue this, this kind of walk through Jesus's parable, some of the greatest stories ever told. And this is one that is not one of the most famous or the most popular ones. It's kind of referred to as, as the, the parable of the great feast. And so if you have your Bible, go to Luke chapter 14. Jesus tells this parable a couple different times in the Gospels. And here's my understanding and here's my take on that. Jesus, I believe, told stories more than once. And so a lot of times when you read, you know, the, the gospel writers, it seems as though Matthew said Jesus said it very, very early. And then Luke said it, that Jesus said it very, very late in his ministry. Here's my thought. I think he said it more than once. I believe this because here's what I know about preachers that travel. That here's, here's what you don't know. So like I'm, I'm, I'm here in Livermore every week, right? So I can't get up and preach the same sermon every week or y'all get bored and walk out on me. But traveling preachers, you know what they get to do? They get to just so perfect great sermons and they travel. And so they'll go to this church and preach it and this church. And, and I know guys that will travel the country, even travel the world preaching the same sermons. And so what happens is they roll into a church and they just absolutely blow your mind. It, they hit a home run. It's the most awesome sermon in the world. And you think, man, that guy is such a great preacher. He's so much better than our pastor. And, and what you don't know is, is that he has preached that sermon 50 times and has got that thing so dialed in and so good. And I got to get up here every week and come up with something new. And so anyway, I just want you all to know this. So Jesus, being an itinerant guy, he traveled from town to town. And these stories were so rich and so good, I guarantee you he told them more than once. And so that's why you'll find different authors saying this. So you'll find even certain parables are told slightly differently. So this one in particular, same way. He tells it one way in one city in one time, and he tweaks it out and tells it in a slightly different way. And you'll have weird people say, oh, well, look, this, this, this is proof that the writers didn't know and blah, 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 blah. Here, here again, I will talk differently to certain audiences and will share certain parts of an idea to certain audiences and then share a totally different set of ideas with a different audience. And so, again, I think that's what Jesus was doing here. And so, again, today, the kingdom of God, that's how Jesus would begin his stories. It was his way of trying to get you to understand who is the king. What's he like? How do you get into the kingdom? As a citizen of the kingdom, what am I supposed to do? And so all of his parables, they most, for the most part, would begin with the kingdom of heaven is like. Are you ready? Verse number 16, Jesus says this. Jesus says that a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Everybody say excuses. They all began to make excuses. The first one said, well, I, 
I just bought a field. I, I got to go and see it. So please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, we, uh, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servants, here's what I want you to do. Then go out into the roads and country lanes. Another translation says, go out to the highways and the byways and make them come in. Compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you that not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Let's pray one more time before we get into this great story. Jesus, we pray that you would be in our midst today, God, to kind of show us some things, to bring things to the surface, to challenge us, to encourage us, God, to lead us and to guide us. Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts and in our minds, Lord. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. amen. I love this parable. Um, today, I'll take a look at four unique things from this parable. Before we begin, here's what you need to know about the teaching of Jesus. The teaching of Jesus kind of transcends time. And so many times when we read stories from the Bible, we'll just assume that God was talking about them over there with their issues. But see, the Bible transcends time. Jesus' stories, although he was talking to them, I guarantee you that Jesus is still talking to us today. That, that it's not just about them over there doing that thing. It's actually a story about me today and my issues. And so whenever we dig into these parables, we're always trying to figure out in the parable who is who and who am I and who is God. And in light of that, what should I do. And so you have these main characters in this story, right? You have the guy who's kind of a king or he throws a great feast. And so this is the very first person you see in the story. The next group of people is you find, well, excuse makers, these people that were invited but didn't show up. Then you have these servants that are going out into the highways and byways and finding what seems to be the most dysfunctional people they can possibly find to bring them into the party. And so now you got to figure out, okay, Jesus, what are you trying to say? What's the point here? What, it's, it's, not, it's not that it's that mysterious today, as we will see. It's actually right there for us to pick right off the surface of this story. Four big ideas that I want you to know about this story. And I want you at the end of this story to figure out who am I and who should I become and who is God and what should I do in light of this. Number one, first big idea is this, and you're not going to like it. Um, our excuses are dumb. I almost wrote it. I actually originally wrote it. Your excuses are dumb. And I thought that sounds too mean. So we'll just we'll all own it. Everybody say our excuses are dumb. Our excuses are dumb. As a matter of fact, give your neighbor a high five and just say, hey, your, your excuses are dumb. I just want you to know that I love you, but your excuses are dumb. Yeah, I want you to go ahead and just get that out of your system. I want you to feel comfortable knowing that your excuses are dumb. Now, real quick, how many of your parents out there? Then here, here's what I know about you. You love getting excuses from your kids, don't you? Doesn't that make you feel good? You tell your kids to go clean their room, go take the, go, go pick up the poop in the backyard, go do this, go do that. And then, and then all of a sudden they forget or they got busy doing something else. And, and, and then it, usually it starts off with this. Our excuses, the good ones at least start off with, we'll see what had happened was. And so what had happened was, 
And, and then, then this, this great story unravels. Um, how many of you have people that work underneath you at work or uh, you have employees? There? Yeah. How many know you love excuses, don't you? Don't they, they just make you feel warm inside? They get you all upbeat and fired up to take on the day with uh, renewed energy. You know, it makes you look at them employees like, you know, I can't wait to see what we can accomplish together as a team because teamwork makes the dream work. You know, these, these excuses just, they, they invigorate you. And so anyway, um, so in light of that. We all know that excuses are dumb, right? Because one of the best things that you can learn, if you're a young person here, please listen to me. One of the best things that you can learn in life is this, is never, ever, ever make excuses. Just own it and take responsibility. That people that make excuses for everything in life, that's what we would call a poverty mentality. It's a mentality that is going to lead you nowhere in life. You are going to end up broke, busted, and disgusted, and then still be making excuses and blaming other people for why you're broke, busted, and disgusted. And so you don't want to become those people. What you want to do as a young person is become someone who owns it, and takes responsibility for what you said and what you did, and then you can change and overcome it. Can I get a good gospel amen? Because I feel like I feel I was, that was a life lesson, and somebody needed to write that down. That was free. That's not even in my notes. And so my, my point is this, is that, is that these guys, it seems that the central piece of the whole story is, is there was a king who had a feast, and he invited people, but they all made what? All made excuses. And, and here's... Here's what I know about excuse making. Normally, we make excuses for stuff we don't want to do, right? I mean, isn't that true? Like, we, we, we make excuses for stuff that we want to avoid, stuff like when, when we have to avoid pain or avoid hard work or avoid something we just don't want to do. That's when we really make our excuses. I don't think these guys really understood what they were being invited to. It wasn't like they got invited in to do something bad. It was, it was a feast, right? But these guys didn't understand it. And for whatever reason, they began to make their excuses. Now, again, on the outside, these excuses look valid, don't they? Because one guy says, well, hey, I just bought a field. Another guy says, hey, I just bought five yoke of oxen. Another guy said, hey, I just got married. So it would seem on the outside that they're good excuses-ish. Kinda. Okay, here's what you may not know culturally, and, and it shows up in the previous verse. When it says this, it says, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited. Meaning they had already been invited. This is like, and I know you, you love these people too, have you ever thrown your own party and thrown your own thing and you sent out, because we, we do evites now, don't we? We don't even send real, unless it's a wedding and you still get the frilly thing. And you got to RCP for those. But, but now we evite stuff. Have you ever sent out an evite for stuff and then they click, yes, I will be there, and then they don't show up? Don't that just, again, just makes you so happy and warm. You want to send them a thank you note just for at least clicking yes. You know, it just makes you happy that people do that to you. And so here's what you need to know. Culturally, these people had already been invited. When they would do a big, a big feast, it, it took so much work to pull this off. They would have been invited a long time ago, and then when all the arrangements were finally ready, they would make the final call to say, come now, everything is ready. So these are not people who were randomly invited and they were like, uh, no thank you. They had already been invited, had already said yes, that's why the call went out to say, hey, everything's ready, you can come on in now. It was after the fact that they made these excuses. Now here's the other reason why I think these excuses are dumb. These excuses are dumb because, I don't know about you, have you ever bought, bought a field before looking at it at all? You would never go buy a field and then say, oh, oh, well, you, I can't come to your thing because I already bought a field, but now I need to go look at it. You would never do that. Would you? you ever bought a car without looking at it first? 
Never even looked at it. Didn't test drive it. Now, you ever bought that car? I hope not. You're not a smart person, right? If, if, if you would just buy something without ever even looking at it. Same thing with the oxen guy. The oxen guy said, hey, I've already bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go test them out now. Same principle. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're telling me that you bought five oxen and you haven't even seen these things yet? These guys are clearly making up dumb excuses. Now, I'm going to give them credit for one thing. At the end of their dumb excuse, they say, please, excuse me. The third guy doesn't even say that. He said, look, I got married. I got business to do. Uh, I got to make up for a lost time here. Um, so I'm married and I, I ain't coming. And here's, here's really what these excuses represent. If we look at these excuses, they kind of represent categories of life. So number one is this. When the guy talks about his field, he's talking about his possessions. He's talking about his riches. And so Jesus is kind of shedding light on like, hey, be careful that your excuse making doesn't fall into the category of your own kind of pursuit of more. Be careful that that, that doesn't get in the way of being in on the kingdom the next one was this. It's the oxen. Now, a field, have you ever noticed this? Like, you don't have to take care of a field, right? People can't steal your, steal your field. It ain't, it ain't going nowhere. Your field will not get up and run off. Never happened before. But an ox, I mean, he could get stolen or he could get up and run away. So this represents kind of your responsibilities in life. And how many know, like, wealth is not a bad thing. The Bible's pro-wealth in God's ways. And the Bible's pro-responsibility, we just talked about that. It is good to own it. It is good to take responsibility. And it is good to put responsibility on your life. Another thing for young people out there, if you're young, I guarantee you that putting responsibility and taking on responsibility will help you grow up faster. Never be a person who shirks away and runs away and fears taking on responsibility. No, take it on. And even if you fail, it's good. You get to learn from it and move forward. It will help you mature in life. So responsibilities are good. But be careful that the responsibilities that you take on in life don't keep you out of the kingdom. And then lastly is this. The marriage one represents our relationships. Because we're all happy, God is very, very pro-marriage. God is all about man and woman getting together, perfect reflection of God and Christ and the church. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's great, but be careful because your relationships, when you evaluate them, should never, ever, ever move you away from the kingdom. Like if your relationships, be it your dating, your marriage, your, your, you know, if you're married, you're, you're with that. You've got to figure that out and you've got to manage that well. But with your dating and your friendships in particular, those relationships should never push you away from the kingdom. When you think about your responsibilities, they should never get in the way of the kingdom. You, you, you're, you're, put it this way. It's good to have stuff. It's bad if stuff has you. Are you with me this morning? Be careful in your excuse making. Here, write this down if you're taking notes. This is what they really did. They took seemingly good things and they made good things get in the way of the kingdom. But remember this, that a good thing becomes a bad thing if you try to make it a God thing. So be careful that these things don't supersede, meaning like this. The problem is not the pursuit of these things. They're all good things. The problem is the priority. The problem is that they got out of structure, out of whack. One thing became more important. God began to go back onto the back burner of life. It got put into the... Because how many know things have a progression of getting out of your life, don't they? At first they're out in your home. And then they eventually, when you don't like them in your home anymore, they go into a closet. Right? And then when they don't, then there's not enough room in the closet because you're putting more stuff in the closet. Then it goes into the garage. And then from the garage, it goes to, into like a, a used storage building. And then it just goes in the garage sale. 
And that's the progression of life. And what God's saying is this, is don't put me on your progression of priority where I just keep getting pushed out and pushed into the closet and into the garage. God should always be the centerpiece of everything. And so you need to know this, that the, the, the parable, the, the story that Jesus is trying to make very, very clear is this, is that in God's kingdom, the king comes first. Our excuses are always dumb. Somebody say amen. I feel like all right, we're going to make this sermon get a lot better. Are you ready? Number, number two is this. We're going, to, we're going to amp it up here. Number two is this. This is a big idea of the whole parable. It's this. The kingdom is a feast. Somebody should say amen to that. Like the kingdom is a feast. It's a banquet. It's a party. It's a celebration. This is a good thing. This isn't a funeral. Right? The kingdom is not a funeral. I know Jesus died. But we're not here today just because he died. We're here because he rose again, right? We're here because there's a celebration. There's a party. There's a good thing that happened. There is life. There is hope. There is an eternity in heaven. There's a heavenly father who's given us grace and peace and mercy. This is a good thing. But many of us as Christians, we, we begin to think of it as a bad thing. Because through the lens of religion, we start seeing our own guilt. We start seeing where we don't measure up, where we're not good enough, where... Maybe things didn't happen the way that you wanted them to. You prayed and your prayers didn't get answered the way that you wanted them to. And so you're not seeing the kingdom as a feast. To you, the kingdom is a funeral. You know what? Church should be the same way. Church has become this thing where it's, it's kind of boring and no fun and it's mean and it's harsh. and it's. But that's not the way God meant the kingdom to be. Remember, Jesus is painting a picture for how you should see God and how you should see yourself. And I want you to know this. The king is good. And the king threw a celebration. And he invited you into it. The kingdom is a feast. But don't we have a way as human beings of taking things that were intended to be good and we turn them into bad things or boring things? I'll, I'll give you an example. How many of you like to fly? You like airplanes? You, like to, you, you do. Praise God. There are people out there that still do. I hate to fly now. Now, when I was young, I thought it was incredible because I was, I was still young. And I loved the idea that I could be in one city and then a few hours later I could be on the other side of the country. I just thought, how cool is that? I'm traveling. I'm so fast. I'm here and there. And I thought it was really, really cool. But then when you get enough miles under your belt and enough bad experiences, all of a sudden flying is not what it used to be. Because when you, because here's the deal, because then when you show up, I remember one time I showed up, I had booked the ticket and I showed up, there's no ticket. And then I had to go on to standby and sit there for two or three hours to wait for the next flight because they had messed up my ticket. It was the craziest thing. I know this one time I'm in Salt Lake City for eight hours. I'm bored out of my mind. I can't stand it. And then, and then here's the problem too. Then, then they herd you in like cattle, right? You get all cramped up and then like, cause I feel like I, I'm breathing other people's air. And I feel like, and I feel like, cause you know, like depending on how big the flight is, there's nothing worse than getting stuck in the middle of three with two big dudes next to you. Cause then, cause then, cause the seats aren't big enough and the homeboys wants to just roll out and be bare chested and everything like, and I'm like this now. And then my whole world consists of about 12 inches. And then my tray takes that up. And then if homeboy in front of me puts the seat back, all of a sudden my 12 inches become 10 inches in the tray. I'm just saying. There's some, so, okay, so, so how many of you have a bad, bad flight experience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, Jesus, have mercy. Um, do you think that this and this is what the Wright brothers dreamed about 
when they dreamed of flying with the birds. I mean, these guys wanted to, to fly. They wanted to fly. They wanted to do something great. They wanted to achieve what seemed to be impossible. They wanted to fly. And we took the dream of flying above the clouds and turned it into this. And a pack this big of pretzels or peanuts. And sometimes we do the same thing with God. We take God and we make him mean. God is a king. And he's thrown a feast. This, this is a good thing. Like church should be enjoyable. God should be enjoyable. I was talking to a, a, a gentleman earlier today. And he said, man, I, I'm just so glad and so thankful that for these last number of years that I've had a relationship with God because I did everything else for years and years and years and it never satisfied me the way God satisfies me. There's something great about God and his presence and God and his goodness and God and his, his fellowship and God and his peace and God and his... I'm telling you, there's something good about this thing. You need to be reminded... The kingdom is not a funeral. It's a feast. It is a great thing. Number three is this. Not only is it a feast, but you need to know this. That everyone is invited and everything is ready. Isn't that what he said? He says, come now, everything is ready. And then he goes, bring them all in. And when people start making excuses, they go, that's fine. Let's just bring in more people. And we'll bring in, we'll bring in broke people and, and lame people and blind people and all kinds of crazy people. And we're going to bring in everybody that you can think of. And then he even goes on to say, hey, we did all that. He goes, don't worry, there's more room. Just keep them coming. Everyone is invited and everything is ready. You, you need to know that about your Heavenly Father. I remember the worst birthday I ever had. I hope my mom doesn't listen to this sermon. The worst birthday I ever had, I remember being like nine years old. And, and I got this cool birthday party. And all my little homies from elementary school are coming to my birthday party. And, and I, I don't know what my mom was thinking. Bless her heart. Um, that's what you say in the South when you just feel bad for somebody or you're like, God bless their heart. Um, she's like, all right, Todd, people are coming over in a few hours. You better get to work. And I had to go clean all the lawn furniture that had never been cleaned ever. I'm talking about my mom don't clean. My mom don't clean. Okay. Let's just be honest. My mom is not a cleany person. My wife, thank God for her. She loves things to be clean. She cleans stuff. My mom was not a clean person. The only time we could ever get my mom to clean anything was when we had company coming over. And for some reason, she made me clean that day. And I remember as a nine-year-old having tears in my eyes thinking, why is it that on my birthday, I got to be out here clean? And it didn't even get clean. It was so... I want you to know that like... Because think about this. Again, we usually make excuses for stuff that we try to avoid, don't we? It wasn't like this. Because you ever, you ever had a guy that did this to you? You ever had a buddy? It's like, hey, you haven't talked to him in forever. It's like, hey, man, how you doing? What's going on? Oh, no. Hey, what do you got going on Saturday? And you think you're going to do something fun. You're going to go golf. You're going to go shoot something. You're going to go have fun. Hey, awesome, man. You know what? I got to move. And I really need you to come help me move. Jesus wasn't inviting people to come help him move. It wasn't like, hey, man, what are you doing Saturday? I need somebody to help me move some stuff and clean out my garage. God wasn't inviting you to move. God was inviting you to a feast. And you didn't have to do anything for it. As a matter of fact, you couldn't even do anything for it. God has done everything for you. And you get the luxury of walking into that thing on faith. This is a feast. 
and you've been invited in and everything. Amen. Everything is ready for you. You don't have to work to get into this thing. You just got invited in. As a matter of fact, think about who got invited in. Poor people, blind people, lame people, maimed people. And, and here's, again, what, what is Jesus actually saying? It wasn't dealing with poverty because he, here's what you need to know. The greatest kind of poverty in life is spiritual poverty. Like Jesus was using an example to say people who have, have been on the outcast of society, people that seem to be on the outside looking in, people that don't seem to fit the description of who ought to be invited into the party. Because some of you guys don't feel like you're worthy of being invited in. And let me help you real quick here. You're not. But that doesn't matter to God for some reason. That it wasn't about your worthiness, it was about his invitation. And all you have to do is respond. And everything is already ready for you. And you have been invited in. I'm telling you, you don't have to deserve. You just have to show up. You just have to come on in. Last thought is this. Number one was this, is that our excuses are done. Number two was the kingdom is a feast. Number three is, is that everyone is invited and everything has been made ready. But here's the last thought. And I want you to think about these people. We kind of forget about these people in the, in the story. Is there were these servants, people who had already been so close to the king and so engaged in the kingdom. And what were they doing? They were a part of preparing this great celebration because they wanted to be a part of what the king was doing. And number four is this, is that we should compel them to come in. Isn't that kind of the idea of the story? Is that we don't, because who do you not want to be in the story? You don't want to be the people that clicked yes to the Evite and then at the last minute backed out with your dumb excuse. You don't want to be those people, right? And you're not the king. God bless you. I love you. You're, just, you're not the king. But then you have these other people. And at some point in your, your experience with following Jesus, you come in broke, busted, and disgusted. And you come in with your blind and your lame and your screwed up and messed up and your dysfunction. And God embraces you. And then begins, God begins to change you from the inside out. And God begins to elevate your life and elevate your mind and elevate you in who you are as a human being. And you become more and more like Jesus. And at some point, you're going to want to make the transition to just feasting at it. You want to feast, but then you want to invite some other people in. And so he says these words. He goes, go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. You know what the word compel means in the Hebrew? It means to duct tape them and to throw them in your trunk and to make them. I'm totally, I'm just kidding. Don't ever do that. And don't, and don't ever say that I said that. This is on tape. You've got me saying this. We don't have tape anymore. This has been digitally recorded. Here's the, here's the idea. As much as it is in you, do whatever it takes to compel them by the passion that is within you. Anything short of sin is on the table. So that's why the duct taping and the kidnapping, that's why that's off. Anything short of sin, you're good. That, isn't that what the Apostle Paul said? He goes, just so you know, when I think about people who are away from God, he goes, I don't care what I have to do. I will become all things to all people by, that, by, by any means win one. Like, I don't care. I'm just going, anything short of sin, it's on the table. I will do to help somebody come into the kingdom, to help somebody know Jesus. And, and here's what I know about you. You already do this. You already invite people in. Like, think about this. The most meaningful moments in your life, you always share them with the people that are most important to you. Don't you? Birthdays, weddings, anniversary parties, these great moments of your life. You already invite people to those things, don't you? And what... Here's what I want you to know, and I wrote this down. The greatest invitation that you can ever have 
from one person to another is the invitation to know Jesus. That's it. That's the, great, that's the greatest invitation you can ever get. It's, it's the invitation for someone to know Jesus. It's the best offer that you can get. And I know some of you are like, well, I don't do that because I'm afraid that they might be offended at me. Okay, let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever been offended because you invited them to a wedding? I, I haven't heard the story yet. Maybe there is a unique story out there, and it's just bananas, and, and don't be that, those people. But, I mean, have you ever invited somebody to a wedding and then stood back and be like, you know what? The audacity of you to invite me to come and celebrate your wedding. How unbelievably rude of you. I've never, like, invite somebody to a barbecue. Ugh. I mean, maybe if they're kosher and you're doing like this big giant pig thing with an apple in his mouth. I mean, maybe there's maybe there's some scenarios. But by and large, people don't get offended at you when you invite them in to something special in your life. And again, there's always kickbacks. And I want you to know, some of you some of you think about your faith and you think, oh, I don't tell people about church and I don't tell people about faith because my faith is very, very private. My faith is my faith is private. (laughs) Nowhere in the Bible. Can you find in any way, shape, or form that your faith is... Pro- now, it's personal. Don't get me wrong. It's personal. It's not private. You see the difference? It's personal, meaning it's close to your heart. It's near to your heart. It's not private. It's personal, and it's public. And that's what Jesus wants you to do. Is Jesus wants you to, to compel them to come in. And here's, here's another thought. I'll leave you with this. We're going to wrap up here. Is that there is a difference between informing people and inviting people. Have you ever thought about this? Because this is many times what we do. We'll see somebody like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? You should come to church with me sometime. That's really just informing them. It's informing them that I go to church. An invitation, think about your wedding invitations. It's got a time. It's got a, a, a location. It's got a date. It's got a promise of food. That's how you get people to show up. Promise them food. And that's the difference, though. And this is what I mean. Hey, you know what? I would love to invite you to church. Would you, would you be willing to go with me? Awesome. Okay, here it is. This, this Sunday, I'm going to come pick you up, or I'm going to meet you out front, or here's what time it starts. And he, hey, look, here's some printable directions. I printed them for you. And here's what's going to happen. Uh, you're going to show up, and you're going to sit next to me, and then afterwards, I'm going to give you some food. And even during the middle of service, they give away cookies to people who are new. So you can just eat a cookie while you wait for the buffet. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to compel them to come in, and I don't want you just to inform them, but I want you to invite them. Because again, The greatest invitation that you can give anybody is an invitation to know Jesus. What other invitation has an eternal, lasting impact on their life? So to sum up the parable, I'll finish with this. I would say this is the big walk away. Let's stop making excuses. And let's pull up a chair to the table and feast at the banquet of Jesus. And let's not come alone. But let's bring some friends with us. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I pray that, God, these stories would somehow be so embedded, tattooed on our memory bank. God, that they would stay with us. That we would always be reminded of who God is. That God is not a taskmaster in this story. He's a king that threw a great feast. That the kingdom is not a funeral. It's a feast. It's a celebration. And we have been invited in. Not because we deserved invitation, not because we were high society and we, we, we always get invited and we're super popular. No, no, no. We were on the outside looking in and we didn't deserve to be invited just because of your goodness we got invited. 
Let us always remember that you are the king and your kingdom is a feast and we have been invited in. And God, let us come to that feast and so enjoy who you are and so enjoy being a citizen in your kingdom. But let's not keep that to ourselves. Let's invite some other people in on the feast. If we have found hope, if we have found life, if we have found forgiveness, help us to connect other people to that. Help us to be connectors to Jesus. So, Father, I pray that when we walk out of this place, God, that in our heart, there's a story. That in our heart, we're thinking about, we're not going to make excuses. We won't let things get in the way. We won't let responsibilities get out of priority. We, we won't let other pursuits mess us up. God, we want to be in on your kingdom. We want to be feasting at your table. And we want to bring some other people with us. Father, help us to be those people. Let that be our story. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?